we will continue in our message. Thank you, Ben. And I was hoping that you would answer the question that you asked yourself. Ramsey, why are you such a knucklehead? Uh, anyway, you can help me out with that later. I was wondering. <laughs> we continue in this series of numbers. Numbers that we should have tucked away. Uh, we all have numbers that uh, we know, that we have memorized over the years, and I've been weekly giving you a quiz. Let me give you another short quiz today, because you probably know these numbers. Here we go. You ready? Do you remember your address when you were a kid? Uh, you pick, pick one. The numbers of your house. Do you remember those numbers? What about, what about your phone number? Back when you had a phone that had this thing called a, a cord attached to it. You remember those? American history. Anyway, uh, do you remember a phone number from when you were a kid? Do you know your parents' phone number or a relative's phone number? And here's today's final question. Do you know the license plate number on the car you drove in today? Ooh, we got that one. Some people do. Numbers. What are some numbers? And so we've been looking at some numbers in Scripture that, that man, we've got to know them. We have to know these passages. We've looked at a passage uh, out of Lamentations, a passage of hope. Last week we looked at a passage out of Ephesians chapter 6, a passage of strength. And this week we move on to another passage uh, that, that will deal with justification. We know that hiding God's word in our heart helps us with our sin issues. Paul, uh, the psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we put it in our heart, it, there's something that happens. It strengthens me. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know that sin that just daily comes back and, and wakes you up. It comes back and taps on the door of your heart daily. It's, it's, maybe it's a hidden sin. Maybe it's a secret sin, but it just keeps coming back, and it won't give up. It seems like it's a constant battle. The Bible says that when we hide God's word in our heart, it does something. We're not talking about just memorization that you can recall. We're talking about tucking it away in your heart where it has an impact on your life. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We also know that God's word, it, it puts a light on our path. It shows our feet where to walk and what to avoid and where not to walk, the pitfalls of life. God's word helps us in those areas. I want to point out another passage of Scripture that helps you and I, or it reinforces this issue that knowing God's Word is critical in our life. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is, it is useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want you to write these four questions down that God's Word can help us do. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 316. It's another one of those 316s. You may have another number um, memorized by that. And we'll get to verse 17 in a second. But I want to focus on why God's word is so important. It's good for teaching. Ask this question. What do I need to know? It's good for rebuking. What do I need to stop? It's good for correction. What do I need to change? 
It's good for training in righteousness. What do I need to start? See, God's word, man, when we get it and we take it and we, and we tuck it away in our heart, it, it teaches, corrects, it rebukes, it trains, it's useful. It is important that each person memorizes and hides God's word in your heart. Can I just say that what we're talking about here, memorizing and learning and hiding God's word in your heart, this is not for the elite spiritual people. That's not who I'm talking about. I, I, I mean, I'm talking about what should be normal Christian behavior. I'm not talking about super spiritual people. I'm talking about just good old folks like us. Now, now you might be saying, Joel, the only person that, that the only people that really can do that would be monks. <laughs> Uh, or pastors like yourself, all you do is play golf all week, and then you only work on Sundays. I mean, what else you got to do? That, that's not reality, Joel. That's not something that, that the everyday person can do, because, man, we got so many things on our mind. Joel, you have no idea how many meetings I go to, how many places I take my children. From the time I put my feet on the floor to the time I lay my head on the pillow at night, I am going nonstop. And you're saying that I should spend time day in and day out memorizing God's Word? Yes, I am. It is something that should dominate us and capture us and, and, and arrest us daily is knowing God more and more. That's, that should be the normal Christian, not the abnormal. I'm not saying that to make anyone feel guilty. I need to do more of it. I, I need to read my Bible more. I need to study more. I need to memorize more. We all do. I'm just, and each week I've tried to point out that knowing God's word is so important to our health, our spiritual health. It's important. Do you realize that if you would take one verse each week, by this time next year you would have 52 passages of scripture tucked away. And sitting here right now you might be going, Joel, that's impossible for me. And if I could coach you up for a second, I would tell you, you are so wrong. Man, if you would just take a note card, or there are several guys in the room that, that have a little box with note cards in it, and they, they meet together. Imagine that, that there's, some, that there's some believers that actually say, hey, man, let's go get coffee. Let's do this once a week, maybe, maybe twice a month. Let's sit down together over a cup of coffee, and let's review our cards that we're memorizing. 52 of them that are good for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness and correcting. And look at verse 17, if we could go back to that slide. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Friends, I want every one of us thoroughly equipped. So there are some numbers that we need to tuck away, that we need to memorize we need to put into our heart. Memorization of scripture, putting it in our heart, is to be the norm, not the exception. In fact, today's passage that we're going to look at, is it, it speaks more to the norm or what should be the norm rather than the exception. Normal. What is normal? Who gets to decide what normal is? A normal weight. What's a normal weight? 
I'm guessing that in Cambodia, my weight would not be a normal weight. In America, I would say that my weight is closer to normal. Didn't say healthy, but this word normal. I mean, who, this, who, gets, who gets to say that? Look at the far left. Who, who gets to pick the normal word? why they had to show a time lapse of me up there and it's kind of, kind of crude but anyway uh, the next one what do we got here uh, who who gets to decide what normal dress is who decides what's the normal attire to be an announcer for the nfl on sunday afternoon well somebody did somebody said this is the normal dress normal Language. I don't have a slide for that because I think it would probably be inappropriate to, to play a slide of what normal language is. I don't know about your workplace uh, or, or your neighborhood or whatever, but normal haircut. Who, who gets to decide what a normal haircut is? I, 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 what's wrong with that? I, I think that several of you men, that you should just try it, see what happens. Just let us know what, how it works out for you. Normal beard, a normal car. Who gets this normal? Normal. That guy's not normal. That girl's not normal. And today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that an author named Watchman Nee said is the normal Christian life. My dad bought me this book. I've referred to it from, from the pulpit before. Um, the title of the book is The Normal Christian Life. And kind of the basis of, of this is our text today, Galatians 2.20. Let me read to you just a small, very beginning of the book. The Apostle Paul gave his gave us his own definition of the Christian life in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I, but Christ. Here he is not stating something special or peculiar, a high level of Christianity. He is, we believe, presenting God's normal for a Christian, which can be summarized in the words, I live no longer, but Christ lives his life in me. God makes it quite clear in his word that, that he, he has only one answer to every human need, his son, Jesus Christ. In all his dealings with us, he works by taking us out of the way and substituting Christ in our place. The son of God died instead of us for our forgiveness. He lives instead of us for our deliverance. Let me say that again. The son of God died instead of us for our forgiveness. And he lives instead of us for our deliverance. So we can speak of two substitutions. A substitute on the cross who secures our forgiveness and a substitute within who secures our victory. It will help us greatly to save much confusion if we keep constantly before us this fact that God will answer all our questions in one way and one way only. Namely, by showing us more of his son. Um, I mentioned that my dad bought me this book and, and he said, Joel, of, of all the 
books that I've read in my life, none have impacted me spiritually as much as the normal Christian life by watchmen knew. And so I thought, well, I guess I better read this thing. And today's passage, as this author has suggested, is, to, is, is the normal, not the abnormal for the Christian. I want us to see that, that it's when Jesus died that the gate was open for us to live. And, and, and even today, that when we die, it opens the gate for Jesus to live in us. So we're going to look at our text. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2. If you find the Corinthian letters in the New Testament, turn to the right. If you find Philippians and Timothys and Hebrews, turn to the left. It's back that direction. I'm going to start reading today. <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. But there's something I need to point to your attention before we get to our text. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, the churches of Galatia. He's addressing Peter. There's something that happened. There's these people that, that had become followers of Christ, but they were still committed to the old school. They were still dedicated to the law, still dedicated to to having to do all the ritual, the religious activity. They were saying, yeah, it's faith in Christ, but you've got to also do this, do this other stuff. And Paul was addressing it and, and doing it quite harshly. You're going to see in our text today that there's a word justified. It's a good churchy word that we need to make sure we understand because it's critical to our message today. The word justified simply means declared righteous declared righteous when you are justified in a court of law the judge hammers his gavel and and makes a declaration guilty or innocent listen in our life justification happens when the judge in heaven our heavenly father makes his announcement the other thing oh that's hard to read the red word justified um, the other thing I need us to understand about this word, and it's in our text several times when we read here, every time we see the word justified, it is in the passive voice. I mentioned that last week. Uh, I don't want to hang out there very long, but you just need to understand this. When you see the word justified in our reading today, it means that it's not something I'm doing, it's something that's happening to me, that I am being acted upon. It, it, it's critical that you understand that the subject is being acted upon versus the subject's action. So, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and following. We ourselves are Jews. This is, uh, we, we think is he's speaking to Peter here. He, he, I'm not sure where his conversation or words to him stop. <coughs> We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know a person is not justified or made righteous by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
And all of those, every time you see that word, no one will be acted upon. Okay? Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove to myself to be a, a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Here's our verse. Got to have this number. It's critical. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, we ask that today you would lay upon our heart a movement towards you. Not by our behavior, Lord, but by our faith. May our faith deepen today. May our trust in you grow stronger today. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this letter to the Galatians. In Jesus' name, amen. So we look at our text. And what is the trigger word for being justified? I want us to understand this as well. The trigger word is faith. Faith, not behavior. You know, this whole I've died and Christ lives, there, there, there's so much to that we will address in, in, in a moment, but faith, where do you put your faith in? Where is your faith day in and day out? Where, what's the location of your faith? I don't want to pass over that too quickly. I, I intentionally give a moment of, of pause there because I sincerely think that many of us, and I'm putting myself in this, I rely very heavily on my own intellect sometimes. And some of you are thinking, Joel, that's not very smart of you to do that. That's, uh, okay, Joel, go easy there. Hey, I rely on my own reason sometimes. I don't think I'm the only one that does that. I often think when we're at home and we see political ads on the TV for, for any candidate, we reason out loud. Our spouse gets to hear our reasoning. And man, are we right. We've got it figured out. We know who, we know their intentions and we know their intentions. And, and, and this and that, and we have reasoned, and we trust in our ability to think it out. And, and a relative at Thanksgiving, man, and, and they made this comment, and we are able, we have the, the ability, it is a unique ability to climb inside their head and understand their motives and, and what they were thinking. And we get in the car and on the way home, and we just... We unload all of their... I think we trust in ourselves quite a bit. Paul 
Paul says later in this book of this letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, 5, and 6. Does he who supplies the Spirit to supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing in faith? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's that justification, declared righteous. Why? Because of his faith. His faith in who? His faith in Christ. Now I'm going to bring it back up here. And our elders this morning were, Joel, you were freaking us out last week because we were afraid you were going to fall off the stage. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives Say it. Location. He lives in me. Does he live in you? Or is he just in there? Is he just in there watching you live? Oh, Joel, I, when I was 13 years old, man. I, I went to youth camp, and I invited Jesus into my heart. Now, I didn't invite him to come in there and live or anything. I just invited him to come in there and be my savior. Because, Joel, I, to, to be quite honest with you, I want that security blanket of knowing that I'm going to heaven. But, man, all this living for Christ my whole life, every day, in and out, memorizing scripture, and that's over the edge, man. That's for fanatical people. That's not for me. I've been crucified with Christ, man. I've died to trying to obey the law and try to do all this religious stuff that I've always been taught. That's the way you make God happy. That's the issue Paul's dealing with in Galatians. That you have to obey all these. Yeah, faith in Jesus is important, but you've got to obey all these rules. He's saying, no, man. I've been crucified with Christ. I've died to all that law stuff. I've died to the old order of the way things were done. And I'm alive now. I'm living now for the first time because of the new order, the new covenant that Christ lives And the life that I live in the flesh. See, because listen, this, this verse has some issues that we got to at least recognize. Last time I checked, Paul wasn't one of the two thieves on the cross who was next to Jesus. He, he's not physically dead. We're talking of spiritual things here. Being spiritually alive happens when I die to myself we've we've recently looked at other passages of scripture just those who follow christ are to what deny themselves pick up their cross daily and follow him it's a daily dying of self putting my ego my thoughts of of uh, my opinions aside and living for christ i need to i need for me to die so that he can live in and through me. And is that what I'm doing? See, church, listen. This verse, this number is critical for you and I to have. Because this verse speaks of our justification. And we trust ourselves way too much, I think, at times. You can disagree with me. That's fine. Not only do I trust in my rightness sometimes, I declare myself righteous. I trust, I trust my ability to declare myself righteous. 
But you know what else? And we don't talk about this in church. We trust our, our, our ability to declare ourselves unrighteous as well. We put great trust in that. Because see, you know that hidden sin that you deal with? The one that you don't tell anybody about? Maybe it's that anger. Maybe, maybe it's that bitterness that I just don't tell. I don't talk about it. But on the inside, we convince. We, have, we are so good at convincing ourselves of how rotten we are. We trust ourselves quite a bit on how good we are and how bad we are at times. And today I hope that I can communicate to you that even our poor opinions of ourselves need to be put to death. Because of what happened on that, on the cross, Guys, we could stand and celebrate and praise all day and all night and still not give it enough. Do you realize what happened on the cross? Do you realize that I just got yellow? Did that, or is it just me? Am I passing out or something? Do you realize that on the cross, Jesus conquered sin and death for me and you. Yeah, I'm even talking about that one that you wrestle with every day. I'm talking about that one that you think there will never be another day in my life that I don't wrestle with this thing. He died for that one also. He died for the little one that you really just, it's like, it's not even really a sin. I mean, it's just so small. It's, yeah, he died for that too. Do you realize that on the cross, he took the punishment that I deserved? You see, we're going to come to this table here in just a few minutes. We need to realize that his shed blood should have been mine. Should have been yours. We're the ones that deserve it. And he did it for us. You see, I, I've been crucified. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in in the Son of God. The one who loved me and gave himself for me on the cross. It's on the cross that a new covenant is established. The old covenant, the old law was put away. It was a covenant of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. Today is a day, this passage is a day of justification, but I kind of wish that I would have named the message title A Number of Normalcy. Because I really want you and I to, to wrestle with 
is this describing me? Someone that would say, every day when I put my feet over on the ground before I get out of bed, I say, you know what, I'm going to put my life aside today. I'm going to put my ego, my pride, my, my direction, I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to put it to death so that he can, Jesus can be alive in me, man. I don't want to crowd him out at all in my heart. I want him to have full reign of every crevice of my heart so that he can live it out. I can be keenly aware of the direction that he wants me to go. I've started hiding God's word in my heart. I just write it on a little card. And ten times a day, when I feel it in my pocket, I pull it out and I say it out loud. You watch what happens if you do that. I want to die so that he can live. And the life that I live in this flesh, I'm not, I'm not dead, I'm alive. The life that I live in this flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Does that describe you? If not, may I suggest that you wrestle, you don't let go of Galatians chapter 2 until he reigns supreme in your heart. Until he oozes out of every pore of your life. In every area that you go, no longer will we give in to just being um, an average Christian. No. No, let's not pursue God with an average approach. Let's pursue him with passion. Let's not be a complacent people. I would, may I suggest, and this is a good discussion for your life group this week. The church in America has grown very complacent. Oh, well. What can we do about it? Oh, well. Hey, church, let's arise. Community of grace, let's arise with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow night, we're meeting again. The Bridge Builders group, team, and everybody, I consider every person in this church a member of the team of building bridges with our community, not just so we can go rake their yard, but so that we can take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be aggressive. Let's make a difference. Church, arise. I'm going to ask Kyle to, to make his way up and those that are going to help us serve communion in just a moment. But I'm also going to ask that we all begin preparing our hearts Scripture tells us to come to the table with hearts that are right and that are ready. So in the next few moments, if there's unconfessed sin, I encourage you to spend time with the Lord and seek forgiveness and be right with him. Let's enter into a time of prayer.
Father, your word tells us that uh, that night you were with the disciples. That time during the Passover and, and you set aside that cup of suffering and, and you prayed over it. And you said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. Lord, that night was such a special night. We're thankful for it that you were, you were able to give us some symbols that represented your blood and your body. And today we come as your children, as your followers. And we remember the great sacrifice on the cross. We remember that you destroyed sin and death. We remember that you took our place. We remember that we're to deny ourselves, we're to die daily, pick up our cross and follow you, that you are to live through us. Father, we're thankful that your death provided life for us. We remember today. Bless this time as we spend uh, time in thought, time in worship, time in thanksgiving for your great sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, when, when you're ready, uh, I would ask that uh, you come up these side aisles, come up these side aisles and make your way back to your seat. Both, both sides are gluten-free, so no worries there. We want everyone to be able to come. Take a piece of bread. Don't forget this. That bread represents his body that was broken for you. Take a cup. And don't forget that that little cup of juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And then take it back to your seat and sit for just a moment with thankful hearts. Man, if there is anything that should put a smile on our face, it is what Christ did for us on the cross. I'll pray for it, and then we will eat and drink together. So when you're ready, come to the table.